Welcome to For Our Journey. Today, a story from the Christian scriptures, then one from my own experience somewhat parallel to that story, and then one from the master storyteller, Leo Tolstoy. All stories related to the R of rightfulness, especially with regards to right relationships. First, a story from the Christian scriptures with what is traditionally referred to as the parable of the Good Samaritan. An expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to receive the life that always is? Jesus replied, what do you think are the most important texts in the law about this? The expert answered, First, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But the expert wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus answered with this story. A man was going from the hill country of Jerusalem down to the desert plains of Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Similarly, a Levite, a temple worker, came to the place, and when he saw the victim, he passed by on the other side. Then one that the priest and Levite would consider a religious outcast came by, and when he saw the man, he felt sorry for him. He went to him and cleaned and bandaged the wounds and rubbed on soothing oil. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out some money and gave it to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return... I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Jesus asked the religious expert, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, Go and do likewise. Now a story whose title might be who was a neighbor to the bicyclist. The described events occurred during my bicycle trip from Brownsville at the southern tip of Texas to Fort Kent at the northern tip of Maine. After a long day of bicycling, I missed a turn and spent an hour or so getting back en route as the sun was setting. The area was too developed to find a campsite in unfenced, unposted woods, but just before dark, a large church with acres of beautifully manicured lawn appeared. Ah, a place of refuge for the weary traveler. I could set up my one-person tent behind the church on even clear ground, sleep securely in a hidden corner of the sanctuary, and be packed up and off at dawn. A few cars were parked in front of the church, so I thought it best to ask for permission. I went up to the large glass entry doors. Through them, I could see light coming from a room just a few feet away and hear people talking and laughing. I stood at the door and knocked, and knocked. 
There was a pause, but then the conversations resumed. I tried opening the door. It was locked, so I knocked again, louder. Finally, a woman came, opened the door crack, and listened as I summarized my trip in a couple sentences and asked if I might set up my tent behind the church for the night. She answered, well, I don't see why not, but let me check. A few minutes later, a woman with mop in hand and the look of a Levite whose temple duties had been interrupted by an unclean intruder came to the door. She opened it a crack, said, I'm sorry, but you may not set up your tent behind the church for the night, immediately closed the door and went back to cleansing her church. To her credit, she had quoted my words to the first woman as faithfully as ancient scribes had transmitted biblical texts, whether, the, whether about the wages of sin or caring for the wandering homeless. A few days later, it was 97 degrees when I biked through the southern edge of Manchester, New Hampshire. I needed to camp soon, but I had not yet gotten beyond the developed properties on the northern side. The road was narrow, but the cars on it were far from few, speeding home from work in the city. I labored on the edge of the road, sweaty, exhausted, beaten by the heat. The sun had already set when I topped a hill with a small town square. Man, I need to find a place to camp soon, I thought. As I started to coast down the hill, I swerved away from a guy standing by his pickup on the road's edge. The night? What? I looked back. Are you set for the night? He called out. I braked and he came toward me. You need a place to stay? He had been returning from a visit with his mother in the nursing home when he passed me as I biked, and then he pulled off to where he could talk with me. An avid cyclist, he was a member of an organization that helps touring bicyclists find places to stay the night. The man was now offering hospitality to me. Like the beaten traveler loaded onto the back of the Good Samaritan donkey, my bike was loaded onto the back of the pickup. Although I had no wounds to be bandaged, my sweaty clothes surely smelled as if I did. To my apology, he smiled and replied, I've been there. His home was just a couple miles from my route, reached via an unlined paved road, then a dirt road, and finally a driveway through frontage trees. He and his wife had built the home back in the 70s and expanded it for their children. I would have the children's side of the house all to myself. After showing me where to get food and do laundry, he went to do garden work in the last minutes of evening light. He returned as I was finishing his homemade soup and bread. He made lots of bread, he told me. He had found that taking a loaf of homemade bread facilitated communion with others and just wanted to see how you were doing house visits. We talked for some time. When it came to previous work, and I said that I had spent many years as a consultant for Bible translators, he smiled as he might have if I'd said I had been a used car dealer. And he asked no follow-up questions about that. Later on, though, his eyes lit up and he expressed appreciation as I spoke of the joy I experience when reading ancient texts in other languages, of how it makes me feel like I have traveled through time to other worlds. 
He spoke of his joys, small-town community involvement, local friendships developed over decades, carpentry, gardening, family. I suppose the religious leader who had kept me off her church's lawn would have viewed this man as a pagan. But who was a neighbor to the tired, dirty bicyclist? And, by implication, the one participating in eternal life. The one who showed mercy to him, I believe. And yet, I remain more like the Levite than the Good Samaritan in responding to the divine command, Go and do likewise. Now our short story by Leo Tolstoy, continuing with our theme of right relationships and neighbors. Where love is, God is. In a certain town there lived a cobbler, Martin of Deta by name. He had a tiny room in a basement, the one window of which looked out onto the street. Through it one could only see the feet of those who passed by, but Martin recognized the people by their boots. He had lived long in the place and had many acquaintances. There was hardly a pair of boots in the neighborhood that had not been once or twice through his hands, so he often saw his own handiwork through the window. Some he had resold, some patched, some stitched up, and to some he had even put fresh uppers. He had plenty to do, for he worked well, used good material, did not charge too much, and could be relied on. If he could do a job by the day required, he undertook it. If not, he told the truth and gave no false promises, so he was well known and never short of work. Martin always had been a good man, but in his old age he began to think more about his soul and to draw near to God. When he had still worked for someone else before he set up on his own account, his wife had died, leaving him with a three-year-old son. None of his elder children had lived. They had all died in infancy. At first, Martin thought of sending his little son to his sisters in the country, but then he felt sorry to part with the boy, thinking, It would be hard on him to have to grow up in a strange family. I will keep him with me. Martin left his master and went into lodgings with his little son, but he had no luck with his children. No sooner had the boy reached an age when he could help his father and be a support as well as a joy to him than he fell ill and, after being laid up for a week with a burning fever, died. Martin buried his son and gave way to despair so great and overwhelming that he murmured against God. In his sorrow he prayed again and again that he too might die, reproaching God for having taken the son he loved, his only son, while he, old as he was, remained alive. After that, Martin left off going to church. One day, an old man from Martin's native village, who had been a pilgrim for the last eight years, called in on his way from a monastery. Martin opened his heart to him and told him of his sorrow. I no longer even wish to live, holy man, he said. All I ask of God is that I soon may die. I am now quite without hope in the world. The old man replied, You have no right to say such things, Martin. We cannot judge God's ways. Not our reasoning, but God's will decides. If God allowed your son to die and you to live, it must be so. As to your despair, that comes because you wish to live for your own happiness. What else should one live for? asked Martin. For God, Martin, said the old man. 
He gives you life, and you must live for him. When you have learnt to live for him, you will grieve no more, and all will seem easy to you. Martin was silent a while, and then asked, But how is one to live for God? How one may live for God has been shown us by Christ. Can you read? Then buy the Gospels and read them. There you will see how God would have you live. You have it all there. These words sank deep into Martin's heart, and that same day he went and bought himself a testament in large print and began to read. At first he meant only to read on holidays, but having once begun, he found it made his heart so light that he read every day. Sometimes he was so absorbed in his reading that the oil in his lamp burnt out before he could tear himself away from the book. He continued to read more every day, and the more he read, the more he clearly understood what God required of him and how he might live for God, and his heart grew lighter and lighter. Before, when he went to bed, he used to lie with a heavy heart, moaning as he thought of his little boy. But now he only repeated again and again, Glory to you, glory to you, O Lord, your will be done. From that time, Martin's whole life changed. Formerly, on holidays, he used to go and have tea at the public house and did not even refuse a glass or two of vodka. Sometimes, after having had a drop with his friend, he left the public house not drunk, but rather merry, and would say foolish things, shout at a man, or abuse him. Now all that sort of thing passed away from him. His life became peaceful and joyful. He sat down to his work in the morning, and when he had finished his day's work, he took the lamp down from the wall, stood it on the table, fetched his book from the shelf, opened it, and sat down to read. The more he read, the better he understood and the clearer and happier he felt in his mind. It happened once that Martin sat up late, absorbed in his book. He was reading Luke's Gospel, and in the sixth chapter he came upon the verses, To the one that hits you on the one cheek, offer the other. And from the one that takes away your outer jacket, give him the inner one. Give to every person that asks you, and of the one that takes away your goods, Don't ask them to bring them back. Treat people the way you would like them to treat you. We also read where our Lord says, Why do you call me Lord, but do not act in keeping with what I teach? Whoever comes to me, hears what I say, and acts accordingly, is like a person who built a house, dug deep, and laid the foundation on a rock. A flood came, and water rushed against the house, but could not shake it because of the house's rock foundation. But those who hear what I say and do not act accordingly are like a person who built a house without any foundation. When floodwaters beat against the house, it immediately fell, ruined. Martin took off his glasses and laid them on the book. He leaned his elbows on the table and thought about what he had read. He examined his own life by the standard of these words, asking himself, Is my house built on the rock or on sand? If it stands on the rock, that's good. It seems easy enough when one sits here alone and one thinks one has done all that God commands, but as soon as I stop being on my guard, I sin again. Still, I will persevere. It brings such joy. Help me, O Lord. He thought all this and was about to go to bed, but didn't want to leave his book. So he went on reading. He came to the part where a rich religious leader invited the Lord to his house, and he read how the woman, who was a sinner, 
anointed Jesus' feet and washed them with her tears, and how Jesus commended her. He read, Jesus said to the religious leader, Do you see this woman? When I entered your house, you did not give me water so that I could wash my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and dried them with her hair. Martin took off his glasses, laid them on his book, and pondered. He must have been like me, that Pharisee. He too thought only of himself, how to get a cup of tea, how to keep warm and comfortable. Never thought of his guest. He took care of himself, but for his guest he cared nothing at all. Yet, who was the guest? The Lord himself. If he came to me, would I behave like that? Then Martin laid his head upon his arms, and before he was aware of it, he fell asleep. Martin, he suddenly heard a voice as if someone had breathed the word above his ear. He was startled from his sleep. Who's there? he asked. He turned around and looked at the door. No one was there. He called again. Then he heard quite distinctly, Martin, Martin, look out into the street tomorrow, for I will come. Martin got up from his chair and rubbed his eyes, but did not know whether he had heard these words in a dream or awake. He put out the lamp and lay down to sleep. Next morning he rose before daylight, and after saying his prayers, he lit the fire and prepared his cabbage soup and buckwheat porridge. Then he lit the samovar, put on his apron, and sat down by the window to his work. As he sat working, Martin thought over what had happened the night before. At times it seemed to him like a dream, and at times he thought that he had really heard the voice. Such things have happened before now, he thought. So he sat by the window, looking out into the street more than he worked, and whenever anyone passed in unfamiliar boots, he would stoop and look up, so as to see not the feet only, but the face of the passerby as well. A house porter passed in new felt boots, then a water carrier. After a while... An old soldier of Nicholas' reign came near the window, spade in hand. Martin knew him by his boots, which were shabby old felt ones, galoshed with the leather. The old man was called Stefan. A neighboring tradesman kept him in his house for charity, and his duty was to help the house porter. He began to clear away the snow in front of Martin's window. Martin glanced at him, and then went on with his work. But then he started to laugh to himself. I must be growing crazy with age, said Martin. Stefan comes to clear away the snow, and I start to imagine it's Christ coming to visit me. Old fool that I am. But after he had made a dozen stitches, he felt drawn to look out the window again. He saw that Stefan had leaned his spade against the wall and was either resting himself or trying to get warm. The man was old and broken down and had evidently not enough strength even to clear away the snow. Eh, what if I called him in and gave him some tea, thought Martin. The samovar is just on the boil. He stuck his awl in its place and rose, and putting the samovar on the table, made tea. Then he tapped the window with his fingers. Stefan turned and came to the window. Martin beckoned to him to come in and went himself to open the door. Come in, he said, and warm yourself a bit. I'm sure you must be cold. Oh, may God bless you, Stefan answered. My bones do ache, to be sure. He came in, first shaking off the snow, and so that he wouldn't leave marks on the floor, he began wiping his feet. 
but as he did so, he swayed and nearly fell. Don't worry about wiping your feet, said Martin. I'll wipe the floor. It's all in the day's work. Come, friend, sit down and have some tea. Filling two tumblers, he passed one to his visitor, and pouring his own into the saucer, began to blow on it. Stefan emptied his glass, and turning it upside down, put the remains of his piece of sugar on the top. He began to express his thanks, but it was obvious that he would be glad to have more. Have another glass, said Martin, refilling the visitor's tumbler in his own. But while he drank his tea, Martin kept looking out into the street. Are you expecting anyone? asked the visitor. Am I expecting anyone? Well, now, I'm embarrassed to tell you. It isn't really that I expect anyone, but I heard something last night which I can't get out of my mind. Whether it was a vision or only a fancy, I can't tell. You see, friend, last night I was reading the gospel about Christ the Lord, how he suffered, and how he walked on earth. You have heard tell of it, I dare say. I have heard tell of it, answered Stefan. But I'm an ignorant man and not able to read. Well, you see, I was reading of how he walked on earth. I came to that part, you know, where he went to a Pharisee who did not receive him well. Well, friend, as I read about it, I thought now that man did not receive Christ the Lord with proper honor. Suppose such a thing could happen to someone like myself. What would I do to receive him? But that man gave him no reception at all. Well, friend, as I was thinking of this, I began to doze, and as I dozed, I heard someone call me by name. I got up and thought I heard someone whispering, Expect me, I will come tomorrow. This happened twice. And to tell you the truth, it sinks so into my mind that I'm embarrassed of it myself. I keep on expecting him, the dear Lord. Stefan shook his head in silence, finished his tumbler, and laid it on its side. But Martin stood it up again and refilled it for him. Here, drink another glass, bless you. And I was thinking, too, how he walked on earth and despised no one but went mostly among common folk. He went with plain people and chose his disciples from among the likes of us, workers like us, sinners that we are. Jesus said, those who raise themselves up will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be raised up. He said, you call me Lord, and I will wash your feet. He said, those who want to be honored should be the servant of all. Because, he said, blessed are the poor, the humble, the meek, and the merciful. Stefan forgot his tea. He was an old man, easily moved to tears, and as he sat and listened, the tears ran down his cheeks. Come, drink more, said Martin. But Stefan crossed himself, thanked him, moved away his tumbler, and rose. Thank you, Martin, he said. You have given me food and comfort, both for body and soul. Oh, you're very welcome. Come again another time. I am glad to have a guest, said Martin. Stefan went away, and Martin poured out the last of the tea and drank it up. Then he put away the tea things and sat down to his work, stitching the back seam of a boot. And as he stitched, he kept looking out the window, waiting for Christ and thinking about him and his doings and his head was full of Christ's sayings. Two soldiers went by, one in government boots, the other in boots of his own, then the master of a neighboring house, in shining galoshes, then a baker carrying a basket. All these passed on. Then a woman came up in coarse stockings and peasant-made shoes. She passed the window, but stopped by the wall. Martin glanced up at her through the window and saw that she was a stranger, poorly dressed and with a baby in her arms. 
She stopped by the wall with her back to the wind, trying to wrap the baby up, though she had hardly anything to wrap it in. The woman had only summer clothes on, and even they were shabby and worn. Through the window, Martin heard the baby crying and the woman trying to soothe it, but unable to do so. Martin got up and, going out of the door and up the steps, he called to her. My dear, I say, my dear, the woman heard and turned around. Why do you stand out there with the baby in the cold? Come inside. You can wrap him up better in a warm place. Come this way. The woman was surprised to see an old man in an apron with glasses on his nose calling to her, but she followed him in. They went down the steps, entered the little room, and the old man led her to the most comfortable chair. There, sit down, my dear, near the stove, warm yourself, and feed the baby. I haven't any milk. I have eaten nothing myself since early morning, said the woman, but still she took the baby to her breast. Martin shook his head. He brought out a bowl and some bread. Then he opened the oven door and poured some cabbage soup into the bowl. He took out the porridge pot also, but the porridge was not yet ready, so he spread a cloth on the table and served only the soup and bread. Sit down and eat, my dear, and I'll mind the baby. Why, bless me, I've had children of my own. I know how to manage them. The woman crossed herself and, sitting down at the table, began to eat while Martin put the baby on the bed and sat down beside it. He tried talking soothingly to it, but the baby continued to cry. Then Martin tried poking at him with his finger. He drove his finger straight at the baby's mouth and then quickly drew it back and did this again and again. He did not let the baby take the finger in its mouth because it was all black with cobbler's wax. But the baby grew, first grew quiet watching the finger and then began to laugh and Martin felt quite pleased. The woman sat eating and talking and told him who she was and where she had been. I'm a soldier's wife, she said. They sent my husband somewhere far away eight months ago, and I have heard nothing of him since. I had a place as a cook till my baby was born, but then they would not keep me with the child. For three months now I have been struggling, unable to find a place, and I've had to sell all I had for food. I tried to go as a wet nurse, but no one would have me. They said I was too stark looking and thin. Now I have just been to see a tradesman's wife, a woman from our village is in service with her, and she has promised to take me. I thought it was all settled at last, but she tells me not to come till next week. It is far to her place, and I'm tired out, and baby is quite starved, poor child. Fortunately, our landlady has pity on us and lets us lodge free, else I don't know what, what we would do. Martin sighed. Haven't you any warmer clothing? He asked. How could I get warm clothing? She said. Why, I pawned my last shawl yesterday. Then the woman came and took the child, and Martin got up. He went and looked among some things that were hanging on the wall and brought back an old cloak. Here, he said, though it's a worn-out old thing, it will do to wrap him up in. The woman looked at the cloak, then at the old man, and taking it burst into tears. Martin turned away and, groping under the bed, brought out a small trunk. He fumbled about in it and again sat down opposite the woman, and the woman said, The Lord bless you, friend. Surely Christ must have sent me to your window, else the child would have frozen. It was mild when I started, but now see how cold it has turned. Surely it must have been Christ who made you look out your window. And take pity on me, poor wretch. Martin smiled and said, It is quite true. It was Christ that made me do it. It was no mere chance made me look out. 
And he told the woman his dream and how he had heard the Lord's voice promising to visit him that day. Who knows? All things are possible, said the woman. And she got up and threw the cloak over her shoulders, wrapping it around herself and around the baby. Then she bowed and thanked Martin once more. Take this, for Christ's sake, said Martin, and gave her money to get her shawl out of pawn. The woman crossed herself, and Martin did the same. And then he saw her out. After the woman had gone, Martin ate some cabbage soup, cleared the things away, and sat down to work again. He sat and worked, but did not forget the window. And every time a shadow fell on it, he looked up at once to see who was passing. People he knew and strangers passed by, but no one remarkable. After a while, Martin saw an apple woman stop just in front of his window. She had a large basket, but there did not seem to be many apples left in it. She had evidently sold most of her stock. On her back, she had a sack full of chips, which she was taking home. No doubt she had gathered them at some place where a building was going on. The sack evidently hurt her, and she wanted to shift it from one shoulder to the other, so she put it down on the footpath and, placing her basket on a post, began to shake down the chips in the sack. While she was doing this, a boy in a tattered cap ran up, snatched an apple out of the basket, and tried to slip away. But the old woman noticed it, and turning, caught the boy by his sleeve. He began to struggle, trying to free himself, but the old woman held on with both hands, knocked his cap off his head, and seized hold of his hair. The boy screamed, and the old woman scolded. Martin dropped his awl, not waiting to stick it in its place, and rushed out of the door. Stumbling up the steps and dropping his glasses in his hurry, he ran out into the street. The old woman was pulling the boy's hair and scolding him and threatening to take him to the police. The lad was struggling and protesting, saying, I did not take it. What are you beating me for? Let me go. Martin separated them. He took the boy by the hand and said, Let him go, Granny. Forgive him, for Christ's sake. I'll pay him out so that he won't forget it for a year. I'll take the rascal to the police. Martin began to beg the old woman. Let him go, Granny. He won't do it again. Let him go, for Christ's sake. The old woman let go, and the boy wished to run away, but Martin stopped him. Ask the Granny's forgiveness, he said. And don't do it another time. I saw you take the apple. The boy began to cry and to ask forgiveness. That's right. Now here's an apple for you. And Martin took an apple from the basket and gave it to the boy, saying, I will pay you, Granny. You will spoil them that way, the young rascals, said the old woman. He ought to be whipped so that he should remember it for a week. Oh, Granny, Granny, said Martin. That's our way but it's not God's way. If he should be whipped for stealing an apple, what should be done to us for our sins? The old woman was silent, and Martin told her the parable of the Lord who forgave his servant a large debt, and how the servant went out and seized his debtor by the throat. The old woman listened to it all, and the boy, too, stood by and listened. God wants us to forgive, or else we will not be forgiven. Forgive everyone and a thoughtless youngster most of all. The old woman wagged her head and sighed. It's true enough, she said, but they are getting terribly spoiled. Then we old ones must show them better ways, Martin replied. That's just what I say. 
said the old woman. I have had seven of them myself, and only one daughter is left. And the old woman began to tell how and where she was living with her daughter and how many grandchildren she had. There now, she said, I have but little strength left, but I work hard for the sake of my grandchildren, and nice children they are too. No one comes out to meet me but the children. Little Annie now won't leave me for anyone. It's grandmother, dear grandmother, darling grandmother. And the old woman completely softened at the thought. Of course, it was only his childishness. God help him, said she, referring to the boy. As the old woman was about to hoist her sack on her back, the lad sprang forward to her, saying, Let me carry it for you, Granny. I'm going that way. The old woman nodded her head and put the sack on the boy's back, and they went down the street together, the old woman quite forgetting to ask Martin to pay for the apple. Martin stood and watched them as they went along, talking to each other. When they were out of sight, Martin went back to the house. Having found his glasses unbroken on the steps, he picked up his awl and sat down again to work. He worked a little, but could soon not see to pass the bristle through the holes in the leather, and presently he noticed the lamplighter passing on his way to light the street lamps. Seems it's time to light up, thought he, so he trimmed his lamp, hung it up, and sat down again to work. He finished off one boot, and turning it around, examined it. It was all right. Then he gathered his tools together, swept up the cuttings, put away the bristles and the thread and the awls, and taking down the lamp, placed it on the table. Then he took the gospels from the shelf. He meant to open them at the place he had marked the day before with a bit of ribbon, but the book opened at another place. As Martin opened it, his yesterday's dream came back to his mind, and no sooner had he thought of it than he seemed to hear footsteps, as though someone were moving behind him. Martin turned round, and it seemed to him as if people were standing in the dark corner, but he could not make out who they were, and a voice whispered in his ear, Martin, Martin. Don't you know me? Who is it? muttered Martin. It is I, said the voice. And out of the dark corner stepped Stefan, who smiled, and vanishing like a cloud, was seen no more. It is I, said the voice again, and out of the darkness stepped the woman with the baby in her arms. And the woman smiled, and the baby laughed, and they too vanished. It is I, said the voice once more, and the old woman and the boy with the apple stepped out and both smiled, and then they too vanished. And Martin's soul grew glad. He crossed himself, put on his glasses, and began reading the gospel just where it had opened, and at the top of the page he read, I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. And at the bottom of the page he read, Inasmuch as you did it, for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. And Martin understood that his dream had come true, and that the Savior had really come to him that day, and he had welcomed him.